Welcome to Commuter Highlights from First Church Belfast. Here we've distilled our normal Sunday service into a call to worship, a prayer, two readings, a sermon and an organ outro for you to listen to on your way to work, out on a walk or wherever. If you feel so inclined, you can support our work by going to firstchurchbelfast.org and clicking on the donate button. We really would appreciate it. Here is this week's Commuter Highlights from First Church, Belfast. Good morning, everyone. And it's lovely to see you all here today. I know we're missing quite a few people uh, this morning because of various things going on, but it's lovely to see uh, everyone here uh, this morning. We especially welcome you if you're joining with us via Facebook Live. Uh, We hope you feel part uh, of our service here this morning. Come, rejoice, for we are in the presence of the Holy One. We turn our eyes and hearts towards the light of love. Be glad and find comfort in the Eternal One. We delight in gathering as a family of faith. With open minds and hearts, we celebrate this day of life. And together we sing our praises. We join together in prayer. Our prayer is inspired by the 77th Psalm. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is so great as you? You are the God who works wonders. You have displayed your might among the peoples whom you have redeemed with your strong arm. We approach you as your faithful people. Our ears are open to your word. Our hearts are open to your comfort, renewal and challenge. Pour out your truth upon us as we worship you, for your way, O God, is holy. What God is so great as you? God of Elisha, Paul, and everyone here today, you are present yesterday, today, and forever. We often find ourselves in trouble, irritable and with no peace. Darkness seems to wrap itself around us like a mist. We say we want to find you, but truthfully, sometimes we don't, not really. Forgive us for crying loudly when a quiet call would suffice. Forgive us for creating drama when a sincere plea would close the distance between you and us. Comfort us when our fears and insecurities flare up and make it difficult to trust your presence. Forgive our obsession with worldly gain and ambition that clouds the path to you. Bring us to our knees and redirect our thoughts from our earthly realm to your realm. Open our hearts as we meditate on your work and call to mind your mighty deeds, your wonders of old. In forgiveness, wrap your light around us, lighting our path through the troubled waters of life. Lead us, your people, your flock. In trust we pray. We pray the prayer that Jesus taught when he said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Uh, this reading is taken from Brian Darcy's book called Golden Collection. A few commandments for a long, peaceful life. Thou shalt not worry, for worry is the most unproductive of all human activities. Thou shalt not be fearful, for most of the things we fear never come to pass. Thou shalt not cross bridges before you get to them, for no one yet has succeeded in accomplishing this. Thou shalt face each problem as it comes. You can handle only one problem at a time. Thou shalt not borrow the other people's problems. They can take better care of them than you can. Thou shalt not try to relive, relive yesterday. It is gone. Concentrate on what is happening in your life today. Thou shalt not count thy blessings, never overlooking the small ones. A lot of small blessings add up to a big one. Thou shalt be a good listener. Only when you listen do you fear ideas different from your own. It's very hard to learn something new when you're talking. Thou shalt not become bogged down by frustration. 90% of it is rooted in self-pity and will only interfere with positive action. Amen. Our second reading this morning is just a handful of verses from Matthew's Gospel. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him, to question, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Amen. I'm sorry that I had forgotten that last week was Mental Health Awareness Day. And I'm also sorry that last week's reading wasn't this week's reading and today wasn't seven days ago, if you see what I mean. Because today's reading applies quite substantially to the topic of mental health. What I'm about to say sounds very basic and terribly, terribly simplistic. But it matters if someone loves us. And it matters that we love ourselves. No human experience is more fundamental than the transforming event of grace of being loved. And nothing is more important to hear, especially in this modern age of anonymous Twitter trolling and the utterly hateful things that can come at people 
from the darkest recesses of the internet. Indeed, there is a considerable body of theological opinion which claims the very heart of the Christian message is that Jesus of Nazareth shows the unconditional and gracious love of what they understood to be God. When searching through some of my old files, and when I say old files, I mean just stacks of random bits of paper, I accidentally discovered a copy of a sermon I preached at the start of my ministerial career. I knew it was an early one because it was handwritten on pieces of A4 file paper, which is a bit unusual in itself as I don't tend to find things, especially if I'm looking for them. And as a rule, I don't keep many old sermons because usually they're too embarrassing to keep. But anyway, this sermon centered on the theme of love, especially on the value of self-love and self-acceptance as part of the traditional bit expressed in the biblical, love your neighbor as yourself. Now I'm gonna be brave and share with you some of the things I said way back then. Because the, this theme is one stream of, in today's story by Matthew. Firstly, I said it's okay to love others. And as well as okay and not a problem or a sin, it's okay to love yourself. And secondly, I said love of others and self-love are not mutually exclusive of each other. If it is a virtue to love my neighbor as a human being of worth, then it must be a virtue and not a vice to love myself, since I too am a human being of worth. And then went on to suggest that a clue to understanding what love is, is expressed in the saying of Matthew's Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself. Or what I think is a better translation, love your neighbor just as you are to love yourself. And that respect and acceptance of our own integrity and uniqueness, love uh, for, a, for an understanding of our own self first, cannot be separated from respect and love and understanding for another person. And despite what some people claim today, who say that self-love is actually selfish love, the radical nature of Jesus' statement is that self-love is not the same as selfishness. And this is a real problem today for people from this culture and particularly from a certain generation. Because even to draw attention to yourself is seen as a social taboo. When I worked for a little while as a hospital chaplain, it was a very common occurrence to sit beside someone, somebody who was obviously quite ill because they were an inpatient in the hospital, and to hear them almost apologize for taking up a bed in the ward. Oh, there's people here far worse than me, I'd hear them say, as if they almost felt guilty for taking up the doctor's time. Caring for oneself is equated here with selfishness, and that couldn't be further from the truth. For you see, a selfish person is interested only in themselves, wants everything for themselves, 
and can see nothing but themselves. A selfish person does not love themselves too much, but actually too little. For selfish people are incapable of loving others, as well as incapable of loving themselves. One thing we do know, no human alone can create community. Interactions among humans and between humans and the natural world, that's what creates communities. And all those years ago, I concluded my sermon with these words. Self-love, the love referred to by Jesus when he said, love your neighbour as yourself, requires the affirmation of one's own life, happiness, growth and freedom, because all are rooted in our capacity to love. Then and only then can we go on to love our neighbour. So much for the first stream in Matthew's story this morning. Now a question. What is your image of God? What is God like for you? What picture, if any, do you have when you hear one of the most complex and difficult words in the English language? A word rich with many layers and dimensions of meaning. The word God. And why do I ask this? Because there is another stream in today's story by Matthew. Generally speaking, there are at least three different strands to the way God has been used in English-speaking societies. Firstly, there is the biblical strand that we pick up through theological college or church or Sunday school or places like that. Then there is the philosophical strand that comes out of the philosophy of religion or the study of metaphysics. Metaphysics is a Greek word that simply means beyond the physical, beyond the material. And thirdly, there is the popular strand used by people in their everyday lives. So how do we speak about God in a way that communicates itself in our culture? I can't speak for everybody, but for me, certainly over the past number of years or so, I have noticed that my God thinking and God language have been changing as my experiences have changed. And I imagine that that's a typical story for most people as they've got older. Going back 15 plus years, I probably tended to think of God as a friend more of a personal sort of being. Indeed, some processed theologians suggest the phrase caring friend for the divine as one who nudges and calls and lures and pushes us onward. The traditional church or biblical language for describing God is embodied in the Greek word agape, the word that we translate as love. In more recent years, I've intentionally added to my thinking and away from using human-like metaphors in addressing God, I've decided to use more neutral language such as creativity. Creativity in cosmic evolution, creativity in biological evolution, creativity in cultural evolution. 
an understanding and language which can enable us to explore what it means to be religious using insights from the general Darwinian thought. As well as being more appropriate to our newer worldviews and ecological thinking, it sort of fits in a little bit better. And so I tend to agree with a former Harvard theologian, Gordon Kaufman, when he suggested that our God language and our God thinking, our theology, he said, must take into account what we have learned about the evolutionary character of our world and ourselves. So now both process and creativity are the metaphors I often use when I want to speak about or address God. And with that change in language has come a host of other changes, all away from traditional God language for both my and possibly your upbringings. But both life and religious issues are not only answered intellectually, they're also answered with our whole being, with the way we live our lives. We're to love God with heart and soul and mind and strength. So I find myself agreeing with Carl Peters when he says, many people today are asking, what kind of person do I want to be? Reflecting on this question, he says, I find I want to be friendly, loving, caring, compassionate, curious, open to new possibilities, intelligent, and in as far as is possible, wise. What has now become good for me is not so much what I can acquire. It has become what I can be. What I imagine Carl Peters is suggesting is we can become events of grace when things come together in unexpected ways and give rise to new relations of mutual support. And that, I, I imagine, is pretty close to what self-love is and love of others. Those events of grace expressed in the saying, love your neighbour just as you are to love yourself because it matters if somebody loves us. It matters that we love ourselves. It matters that we live in a web of relationships with others and with nature. And it matters because we are people of worth. God, however you, you frame that word, loves us and because God loves us, we are to love those around us. We are not worse than anybody else because of background or beliefs or social standing or whatever. We are as valuable as the next person. We are to love God with heart and soul and mind and strength. And we are to love our neighbour as we love ourselves. Someone once said to me, how are you ever going to love your neighbour if you don't start loving yourself? As I said, loving yourself is not some egotistical, uh, arrogant sort of stand to take. It is caring for ourselves as we would care for somebody we knew who was in trouble. That's what loving ourselves is. 
And it is only when we truly love ourselves, we care for ourselves and value ourselves as God values us, that we can then go on to love our neighbour. Amen. Go now into the world God loves so much to bear the fruit of love. Go in peace and with delight. For God, the source of life and love, goes with us. In this is great blessing. Amen.